Welcome to Managing Marketing. We're here in Boca Raton uh, in Florida and I have the great privilege of sitting there with Bruno Grelpar, co-founder and principal of Agency Mania Solutions. Welcome Bruno. Thank you. Merci. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> um, now, look, what the first thing is uh, when you started your company, I think is it was eight years ago or seven years ago? Three years ago. Three? I know, can you believe no, it? No, that seems like it. It felt like it was, you've been doing this for ages. Anyway, when you named it Agency Mania Solutions, what gave you the idea for that name? So, it's a funny story because we, maybe eight years ago, I wrote the book Agency Mania. Yeah. So that goes back. That's what I'm thinking yes. of. The book was Agency Mania. Agency Mania. And was where were you then? You were I was at Microsoft. Microsoft, that's right. So yeah. I spent 10 years at Microsoft. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is quite, a, quite a bit of time. And... Uh, so I wrote Agency Mania and the inspiration for Agency Mania, which led to us using the name for the company, yeah. uh, which is Agency Mania Solutions, was that um, at the time, and it's still very relevant today, if, if, if anything, even more so, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of talk in the industry about the mania of client agency relations yeah. and the incredibly challenging nature of those sometimes relationships and partnerships, the tension that sometimes exists, but also the incredibly powerful nature of those relationships and what they can accomplish together. And all of these was these very complicated, fast-moving, changing, uh, complex relationships that um, were best captured with this concept of mania. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it is almost manic, isn't it? I could have called it client mania. <laughs> I chose agency mania because yeah. I already knew what you meant by that. Now, you used a word there, which is uh, the tension that's within relationships. Because, you know, I had 15 years as a copywriter and creative director. And it used to amaze me that people would talk about the client relationship as if this is something where we hold hands and skip off to the sunset in love. <laughs> because, you know, for me, the best relationships I had were actually built on respect. Yes. And there was a tension in it. And I used to use the metaphor like the oyster. Yes. Creativity requires a bit of grit to yes. irritate the oyster so you can make pearls. Yes. Uh, are you of a similar opinion? I do. I, well, if you look in your, in your, even on our, in our own personal lives, yeah. whether it's you know, parents, family, you know, friends, uh, even if you think about you know, going back years in school, teachers and so on, coaches, a lot of the people from which we learn and we grow from are from places where there's a healthy amount of tension uh, because you get challenged. Mm. And being challenged is a good thing. And clients should challenge agencies and agencies should challenge clients. Yeah. And if you miss that tension, you get in this kind of very comfortable state of mind and, and being, and which doesn't really get to the best outcome, the best product. So I, I believe in a healthy tension. I think when people say the word tension, they mean different things. For me, I mean a healthy tension, which is the adequate level of, of challenge in a relationship that doesn't get to be disruptive or destructive, 
but just tease out the right amount of energy that makes you kind of wonder and question the status quo and, and get just better better work as a result. Yeah, look, a lot of people talk about curiosity as being the driver of creativity, and yeah. I think you know that's that's healthy tension. You know, the the unhealthy tension is where people just stand there yeah. shouting at each other, expecting that to change an opinion. But yeah. you know, where you can uh, be inquisitive and and ask the sorts of questions that make someone else question their thinking, yeah. that could be incredibly powerful. And I think I, I would be very concerned in of here of a relationship where that that level of healthy tension is not present, because what you end up doing is you have a relationship where everybody's agree. I don't know if you, you know, uh, remember years back I, I went to an event, a conference, and, you know, there was, uh, it was uh, uh, held by just a, a very well-known uh, management consultant at the time, and he, he went into the event and, you know, he asked all these people, he said, you know, look around and, you know, wh what do you see? And, and what a lot of people saw in the room were a lot of people that looked alike. There was, mm. there was, there was nothing in the lack of diversity, not only you know, in terms of the demographic nature of the of the group and, and some other elements, it was mostly just just maybe the very linear thinking where we have the tendency, sadly enough, but it's true, we have the tendency necessarily of recruiting people to kind of think like we do, because it's comfortable. Yeah. And so, but that's not where the value comes from, right? No. So you have to be able to have that level again of, of tension. And so I, I clearly often, when I, when I talk to clients, talk to them about, how to create the right amount of tension in the in the work itself, so that an agency will come and challenge the work, challenge the assumption, challenge the objective of the assignment, mm. and and in a very healthy way. And if they do, um, they change the nature of the relationship from being transactional, like order taking, to to actually having a, a relationship of equal, where the work itself again will be I, I, I'm so glad you expressed that because you know there's this discussion in the industry and especially in the US here about the need for diversity yes. within agencies yes. and people uh, almost treat it like oh it's something we we're forced to do or we we should do in quotes right yes. but in actual fact it goes to the very heart of true creativity because yes. out of diversity yes. out of difference yes. comes new ideas uh, and and so it should be seen um, from my perspective uh, diversity should be seen as an investment yes. in the company not a cost that oh we've got to have so many of these and so many of these and so many of these to meet our quota uh, it has to be disruptive a little bit and I think a great quote from David Ogilvy yeah. said it best I think he said why hire a dog if you're going to back yourself. And I think that was his way of saying the same thing, yeah. you know? You, you want to partner with, uh, with an agency or, or as an agency, you want to partner with a client who's going to get the best out of you. Mm. We, we have a number of, uh, when we run pitches, there's a number of agencies that we've started to call male, pale and stale because when they turn up as a pitch team they are male, pale and stale. Yeah. You know, they, they are carbon copies of each other. Do you see a similar thing here in the US? I do and I also hear a lot of conversations about in terms of agency searches where you have all these, you know, making sure that, and that's a, the point I make also uh, very clearly, there's a difference between being culturally the same and being culturally compatible. Mm. 
And I advise against being culturally the same because if you're going to hire an agency that yeah. think like you do, act like you do, again, there's not a lot of value there. Uh, but you have to be culturally compatible because if you're so opposite to the agency partner you may be working with in terms of the, how you think, your values, um, and so on, uh, then it can be it can become a little bit disruptive, uh, disruptive in a way that it could be uh, perhaps less productive, and you may get hung up or stuck into issues that are counterproductive. Yeah. So you have to find the right balance. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I see agencies that uh, try and mimic the client. You know, they'll phone me up and say, "Who's going to be there from the client?" and and then they try and match line, and it just comes across as contrived. That's right. You know, I mean, what you really want is chemistry to happen. That's right. You know, and not be manufactured because ultimately that's how it does happen. But the the big thing and that's happened over probably the last eight years or, or longer since you wrote your book is that um, I just feel agencies are becoming more subservient and more service driven than they are actually as trusted advisors or valued advisors. And, and a prime example of that for me is when people talk about account service as opposed to account management. That's an interesting thought, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so first of all, have you noticed that? And secondly, what, what's the driver of this power shift that's become very obvious? Well, first you made a good point. I think the, the, the way I see it, perhaps even more clearly in the marketplace, is perhaps the distinction, the commercial interest that I think it gets in the way of, and perhaps is conductive to these uh, subservient relationship, which is where you see these very big holding companies, which are now publicly traded companies who have shareholders to satisfy and their earnings calls with which they need to appear and show. Yeah. And so they, I think, compromise a fair amount because those relationships are so critical to their longevity and their success commercially. Mm. And you don't see that as much with the smallest independent firms no. that want to maintain the integrity of their creative product. Yep. And they'll say, you know, we don't like you. And they'll be the first one to resign a client. Yeah. So when was the last time you saw an agency resign a client? It doesn't happen very often. And I think those who do tend to be the small guys. They're not the big guys. Yeah, they're, they're the independents where the owner is making the decision because, you know, a principal, it was um, uh, Bill Bernbach said a principal's only a principal when it costs you money. <laughs> so as an owner of an agency, to fire a big client because they're actually destroying your agency. Yes. But if you're in a holding company and you're way down here in some regional market and there's four layers from you to the shareholders or the, the, the global CEO, there's no chance in hell of actually standing up for what you believe in. That's right. Yeah, And, and we're seeing that a lot. You know, um, it's also impacting on client uh, trust in agencies yes. because you know, I, I, uh, I use the example that you know, under the old commission system where we never talked about money, yeah. right? if a, agent, a client said, well, I want you to crawl over broken glass and kiss my feet, they'd be down there for their 19.5% to do that. These days, um, it's, uh, uh, they, you ask the same thing and the person's going, right, well, it's going to take me 10 minutes to crawl across there, then I'll be in hospital for two weeks. That'll be $16,000. Or they'll send someone else. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll outsource it and I'll mark it up. And, then I'll, and, <laughs> and so go. the whole trust thing is gone. You know, there's yeah. this sense of, well, you're really not here for me and it's all about the money for you. 
So I'm actually interested in your perspective on transparency. I know you're the one asking a lot of the questions, but no, you know, no. there were there were a lot of talk at the conference, and I think for the past couple of years around this concept of transparency and trust, and and that trust has been shattered, I think, in many ways because of the I think most recently because of all the media discussions about the black box that's programmatic buying and the rebates that nobody really fully understands. You know, so it's it's creating this very again, it's it's taking us back, I think. Uh, you know, in, in many ways. And so I'm curious, what, what's your, what's your I, take I, on I have a very <laughs> strong view on this and it's got me into trouble a lot. Okay. Um, I say uh, this is all caused by marketers. And the reason I say that, and I had a, an argument with a couple of my clients, very large clients, marketers, um, I said, the fact that you started shopping around to get the lowest price rather than valuing the work that was being done, has driven, the, especially the media agencies, into a position they want the work because they have to report the money back, yeah. but they have to also make profit. It's not just about revenue. You have yeah. to make margin and profit in that. Yeah. And you've got to remember in media, you've got, so the client's there with $100 million to spend in media. Yeah. And they screw the agency down to getting just 3%. So they get $3 million for investing $97 million. Well, that $97 million is going to go to a media owner who has already budgeted somewhere between 20 and 80% in sales support, yeah. which is another way of saying kickbacks and fees. Yeah. Now, three people in this bed, you think you've got the 100 million, so the agency should do what you say, but over on the other side of the bed is someone that's got between 20 and 80 million mm -hmm. to incentivize the agency to shop with them. Where is the loyalty going to lie? Yeah. And the, and the clients have created that environment. They've, they've driven this whole focus on cost yeah. at the expense of value, yeah. has driven the agencies into moving to the, the, the menage a trois, is suddenly moved from the primary uh, person with the money, being the advertiser, to the media owners. And that's my opinion. There's more French in you, Darren, that you might even know. <laughs> <laughs> I did one of those Facebook quizzes and it said I was French. And I went, Once before, go. yeah, Bruno told me. There you go. <laughs> no, it's an interesting perspective, but I think the, the, the what, point... Your, what, what, what do you think is undermined trust? There are a couple of things. I think clearly the... So, I, well, first I, I agree with you and the statement you made around how the, the way we set up those relationships sometimes gets in the way of feeling trust and suddenly the, again, the, the revolving door around agencies and certainly bidding for the cheapest of, yeah. of the suppliers approach, type of approach has really undermined, again, the, the trust in the relationship. So, I totally agree. Um, I think there's been, you know, I think it was interesting to listen to Michael growth, you know, from yeah. IPG yesterday, um, because he did mention something which I think in the case of IPG makes it a little bit easier for them to have that discussion compared to all the other holding companies where they play this role of principal and agent. Mm. And they, you know, and clients are looking and saying, well, don't you, uh, you're buying inventory, you're reselling it to me and you're using software. The way I think about it is, um, that's the case for, I think, programmatic buying, these black box that mm -hmm. clients don't fully understand and, you know, end up, you know, costing them money, but they really don't understand how it works and what they're buying. I think goes back to the way I think about casino 
when you walk into a casino and you sit on a machine yeah. and you start putting your coins in the machine and you're like, this software, that they're all digitalized, right? This software is running some algorithm that says, here's your odds and here's yeah. when you're going to lose and win. Yeah. And you have the, somewhat of a, you trust or not. <laughs> yeah. The casino has the best intention and you have a chance to win. And I think a lot of it is, is all the same. When you don't understand the sausage making process, and, and you know yeah. what you don't understand you are inclined to not trust and fear yeah totally yeah. so I think that's a big part of the issue okay because uh, you know I think there's some really fundamental things and I know because um, I actually uh, read agency mania and I know at the time from my perspective a lot of what you were saying is that it is about clear open communication in quite a structured way mm -hmm. um, now, uh, you know, th that's a fair summary of the sort of philosophy of, of how to manage and work with agencies. Yeah? I agree, I agree. Yeah. How has that changed, if at all, or are those same principles still or more relevant now than they were before? I think they're more relevant now. I, th I don't think they've changed. The principles don't change. I yeah. think the environment, the context has changed drastically. Yeah. I think the complexity of the world that we live in from a marketing perspective, or even from an agency perspective, is tenfold what it used to be. Yeah. The principles are even more valuable because without those principles, without those guideposts, uh, you get lost into perhaps operational issues that, that you know, where you get you, you lose sight, I guess, of what truly matters, which is the yeah. open communication, clear communication, having transparency around your goals and how you're gonna be collaborating with your with your partner and achieving those goals, having a sense of mutual accountability and respect. Mm -hmm and making sure that's carried around everything you do, the way you do your contract, your commercial terms, the way you negotiate your, your compensation, the way you do performance evaluation, the way you, all those elements which are essential, they are the building blocks of, of making these relationship work, has to be done with the right set of principles. So when I wrote it, well, it's my intent really to capture really, and I, you, you, having read it, you, you can appreciate the, I wanted to really get the perspective of a lot of people in, on the client side, a lot of people on the agency side. I wanted this to be really a two-way conversation mm. like we're having today, but I think you and I have very similar views on a lot of these things. Yeah. And I wanted that conversation to be, uh, you know, seen from two perspectives. Yep. Um, from and the client and the agent. Exactly. And making sure that perspective and that understanding is there because that's the foundation, I think, of, of good relationship. And I would tell you, these events, like we are... Yep. at the NAFM, uh, you know, I think I'll helping close the divide. I do, I'm, I'm a faculty member of the ANA, so I go okay. and teach, you know, yep. agency relations to a lot of different ANA members uh, throughout the, the United States. And, and my goal is really to help them understand when I talk to them how the agency business works, mm -hmm. how they make money, how they think, how they organize their raison d'être. Yeah. You know, there's some fundamental things you need to understand as a client. Reversely, the agencies also need to understand how clients think. And yeah. different organizations have very different mission, different ways different of thinking, cultures. different cultures, different way of organizing themselves. And you have to be able to be also sensitive to that. The agencies, in that case, oftentimes don't really have a choice. They really have to embrace it and understand it. But it has to be both ways because from that mutual understanding comes mutual respect. Mm. And better communication. Yeah, and also being able to align each other 
to the common goal and the way of working together. Sometimes it's enough to have a common goal, but often you actually also have, a, have to have an understanding of a common process because it's those points of interaction that actually make a relationship or make it fail. I agree. There's a really great uh, piece of research from the Economist Intelligence Unit, and they did it with Deloitte around collaboration. And what they were talking about, what they investigated, was what does it take to collaborate? Because we use collaboration a lot, and in the last two days, lots of people have been talking about collaboration. And they said collaboration requires shared goals or objectives of all parties all parties sharing in the value created and a high level of mutual trust. Now, when I look at agency client relationships, they can have two of three, <laughs> but the one of sharing in the value created is the one that will very rarely happens. You're right. We see, we see a lot more, and you probably, I'm, I'm sensing you expense that, you see that a lot as well. I have really these days, I mean, you can define value differently, clearly, and that's usually where the complexity comes in. But if you think about terms of, of mutually benefiting from the relationship, we see a lot more of these incentive-based compensation programs. I think I would say 100% of the clients we certainly work with yeah. have some level of incentive compensation structure in there. With some of their agencies or all of their agencies, it varies yeah. sometimes by discipline. But what's interesting to me, and you appreciate that, when, when I talk to clients about the value of incentive-based compensation, when I talk about it, I talk in a context that's something different than you, you would expect. A lot of time, we look at performance-based compensation as a way of enhancing performance mm -hmm. rather than collaboration. So I'll come back to collaboration in a yeah. second. But we think, oh, if I pay my agency more for the work they're doing, well, if I if I reward them for great work, they will work better. Yeah, I'll get more. I'll get better work. And I think there's you know certainly that there's that a might, floor in that, isn't there? Yeah, it might happen <laughs> to some degree. But I think the the reason why the reason why incentive-based conversation work is for the simple reason, which has to be about collaboration. It's the moment an agency sits at the table, you have shared objectives, and they start questioning the assumptions that you're building into your program before the work even gets started. Mm. That is the moment where you realize the value it's of that incentive-based compensation. It's not about them doing their job better. They're not it's gonna... about them bringing to the party a perspective that could improve the overall performance of the program. And that's why I like what you say about collaboration and shared goals and objectives, because I think that, to me, is where the value is realized. And it's early on, it's not on the tail end. But I think some clients sometimes fail to understand that and, and so the compensation structure sometimes is not mapped to really, you know, again, encourage that behavior. So the best performance or value-based compensation we put in place was for a company that uh, sold and installed solar panel uh, electrical generation. Okay. And they thought that they were a retailer, but in actual fact it was direct response. And we moved their media agency from commission to a fee per acquisition and in, the yeah. and in the process, in doing that, we uh, increased sales per month by 250%. Brilliant. Yeah. Right? It because works. suddenly yeah. the agency was sharing in the value that they were creating in a direct way. Now it works in a direct response area. So Danny, let me ask you this. 
if it's common sense, why is why is common sense no more no more obvious? Because <laughs> it's not that common. Yeah. Yes. Common sense is the sorts of things that when people see it, they say, "Oh, that's that's obvious." You know, that's that's common, yes. right? But in actual fact, it takes a huge leap of faith or yeah. trust that everyone's going to operate in the best interests of each other. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that annoys me about the holding companies is the way the media uh, publish their uh, performance, you know, their revenue growth, their profit growth, the, uh, some may say, exorbitant bonuses paid to some CEOs of holding companies. Yes. Because what that actually reinforces every time, every quarter that they're reported, from a marketer's point of view, it goes, well, that's my money. Yeah. That's my money that I've been giving you goes, ends up in the pockets of these people and the shareholders. Whereas, you know, they have a very one-to-one -one personal relationship where they like to think that it's actually going to the staff that are working on their business. It makes me wonder sometimes, listening to what you said about the, the perception from, from brands sometimes that those agencies, you know, what, what they're doing with in terms of compensation or their investment or even their M&As, mergers and acquisitions, is somewhat their money. Is perhaps, I wonder how much of that is coming from the madman era where this, there was perhaps so much abuse that I think we, if, if can't, we're seeing the tail end of, of this kind of perception which is stuck with the agencies. And when you know uh, agencies are, many of them are struggling to hire great talent, to service account the way they're supposed to be, I, I think we, we, may be, we may be hurting to some degree our ability, we're hurting ourselves, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, I guess, to some degree, by, by limiting our agency's ability to bring the best talent forward. And, and so, my question to you would be um, around, because a lot of the conversation that is happening right now is about zero-based budgeting and, and current kind of shrinking budget and putting a lot of fiscal accountability on the table and really reducing expense. And P&G and all the big guys have made an announcement in, in that regard. So it's creating pressure in the system, clearly. And is that pressure healthy? Uh, we talk about tension of the work, but is the commercial pressure or tension healthy really and is that really getting to the right, to the right outcome? Well a, a good example is uh, working with a dairy company and they had a creative agency and a media agency and a, a digital agency and they were all on separate remuneration and separate bonuses and we, we talked to the CMO and got the agency management in, of all three agencies into the room and we agreed, we actually went with the CMO's own KPIs and he had six of them. Two of them were internal, you know, like uh, 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 talent retention and something sure. else. But four of them, there was uh, brand uh, health, there was volume, there was market share, and there was margin. So there was three business metrics and one marketing metric. Okay. And so they were equally shared amongst all of the agencies involved. The bonus was actually funded out of um, COGS, Cost of Goods Sold. So instead of coming out of the marketing budget, it was funded separately and could grow and shrink as, as per those KPIs. Yeah. And they all shared in it equally. Interesting. It wasn't the amount of revenue, because if you link bonus to the amount of revenue, you've just created another reason for each agency want to get more revenue. 
yeah. through eroding each other's. So, you know, you could technically, no one did, but you could technically sit there as an agency and go, no, no, we don't need to do any of our stuff and still get the bonus. Yeah. Right? That's so it actually took away the incentive to erode each other. And then the, uh, the third part was once we worked out the size of the pool, we'd do a survey amongst all the agencies and the clients to see how well everyone worked together and contributed. How well did they collaborate? Yeah. And that score actually adjusted their share of the pool. So if there was one agency that was quite dominating and didn't listen and bullied the others, they would be losing their share of the pool. Wow. So it, it had performance, direct performance, uh, and uh, collaboration built into it. Now, the marketers said they loved it because every meeting with every agency started with, how's our brand health? How's the volumes? How is this going to help our share? You know, everyone was talking about the same KPIs. I like it. I like it. I mean, it clearly, clearly changes the perspective coming into the relationship and yeah. what matters. And I think that's the big thing is, are we, are we focusing on what matters the most? Mm. And how do we get your agencies to think that way? But I think that's a, that's a perfect example of how you can shift. Use the money yeah. to actually be a true incentive of the behaviours you want to encourage. Yes. Because yeah? otherwise you've got money working against what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And lowest price. No one in the history of mankind <laughs> has managed to cut their way to success. Yes. You know, all cutting costs do is stop you going backwards faster. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Look, this has been uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. It's always Bruno. fun, Darren. I really appreciate Toujours your time. Toujours très sympathique. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> and uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you.